Good morning, and welcome to our Family Bible Hour. We once again resume our studies on the book of Exodus, and we'll be using Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 6, as our main text for our sermon this morning. So if you have your Bibles handy, would you all please turn with me to that passage now. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 6, and we will read it together first before we begin the message. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And may God the Holy Spirit grant us the wisdom to understand the text before us this morning. But as always, let's ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Father, we are so thankful to be together again, studying thy word and to hear what it has to say to each one of us here this morning. We pray that the Spirit of God will be pleased to direct our thoughts and uh, lead us into the sense of this text so that we might be drawn closer to thee and know thy will for each of us today. For we ask it always in our Savior's name and for his glory. Amen. We have here the thrust of the entire book of Exodus presented before us in what we all know as the Ten Commandments. First, they are given to Moses orally, as we see here in chapter 20. Later, in Exodus chapter 24, verse 12, God calls Moses up to the mount again, where he gives him the two tables of stone on which God himself has written the Ten Commandments. But when Moses returns to the camp with those commandments and sees the debauchery of his people, he, in anger, casts them down and breaks them to pieces. Exodus 32:19. Then later in Exodus chapter 34, verse 28, Moses writes down the Ten Commandments himself on another set of stones, which he had previously hewn out as a replacement for the first set. But here in chapter 20, they are given to Moses orally, as we see in verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying. And then God states the Ten Commandments. Now, before we look at each of them individually and how they impact each one of us, 
I would like to draw your attention to the first set of four commandments. Commandments numbers 1 to 4 deal with our relationship with God, while the second set of six commandments, commandments 5 to 10, deal with our relationship to our fellow man. And so the order here is of paramount importance. If our relationship to our God and Savior is skewed, or as the vernacular says, messed up, then it follows that our relationship with our fellow man will also be messed up. Please notice carefully here in verse 1 that God spake all these words. It is a most powerful thing when God speaks in an audible voice. All through Scripture, we read about God speaking to his children, sometimes by his Spirit, sometimes by conscience, sometimes by providence, while at other times he speaks to them through his word. But when he speaks by his voice, as he does here, it behooves us to give our most urgent attention. And so it is most reasonable then that the creator of this universe would start with himself, for he and he alone is the source and sustainer of all life. Thus it follows that the first and foremost commandment should be, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Let us consider both the value and the reasonableness of such a commandment. First, there is no other God. There is no other creator, no other redeemer, no other Lord. Though there may be many evil entities, spirits, demons, or fallen angels who parade themselves as gods, they are not God. They cannot create. They cannot sustain life. They cannot read the heart of man. They cannot heal. They cannot bless nor comfort the weary and wounded soul. They can only enslave, deceive, and destroy. There is but one who is God. He and he alone is omniscient, that is, all-knowing. He knows every thought we have ever had, have, or will have. He knows where every atom, every molecule of every piece of matter is, and what it is doing at every minute, every second, every hour, day, and month of the year. He is the one who holds this entire universe together, and one day, in his time, he will simply let go and, say the scriptures, this entire creation will burn up in fervent heat. Second Peter 3.10 Every minute virus, bacteria, cell in this vast and marvelous universe, he has created, he has put there, and he directs their course. Every star yet undiscovered and unseen, every planet, asteroid, moon, or errant meteor in flight, he has made, and he has called by name, and places them. 
in their sphere of motion or travel. He who said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, is also omnipotent, that is, all-powerful. There is nothing which is beyond his grasp. He who knows all things can do all things. His omniscience enables him to know the future, and therefore to call into play whatsoever he chooses, and with complete certainty, knowing that it will be exactly as he decreed it. He speaks, and there is light. He speaks, and the sun and moon and all the stars and planets appear. He speaks, and the earth gives life to all that we see upon her face. But when he made man in his own image, he did so with his own hands, as he carefully and lovingly fashioned him out of the dust of the earth, and made man in his own image, and after his own likeness, we are told in Genesis 1, 26. But he is also omnipresent, that is, he is everywhere at the same time. It too is a concept far too great for finite man to grasp. And because he is everywhere at the same time, he can be with all of his creation, with all of his children at the same time. Is there anyone or anything else like him anywhere? None. And for those reasons and countless, mores, countless more, he alone is God and has the undisputed right to demand that thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Thus, this had to be the starting point for Israel. They had just been delivered out of slavery and bondage out of Egypt. Egypt which was a pagan nation. It had a God for everything imaginable. And if you recall, that was primarily the purpose of the ten plagues which God brought upon Egypt. It was to destroy all the false gods which they had worshipped. It was to show Israel that there was but one true living God and that he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and that he was the one who would deliver them. And now they were to serve only him. But before we move on to the next commandment, I would like for us to examine ourselves first, to see where we all stand in light of this first commandment. Do we serve other gods while at the same time professing to have only him? the one true God, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, we like to think we do, but do we really? Many professing believers have made sports their God. They will go to sports arenas on the Lord's day and cheer their voices hoarse, but scarcely open their lips to sing hymns of worship when in church. Others 
have made money their god, choosing to sacrifice everything to it, hoping to get rich and famous and to achieve that life of financial freedom. But unfortunately, in the process, they lose everything. And still for others, it could be the god of personal fame or political power and so on. Anything which steals our devotion, our time and service from the one true living God, will soon become our false god. And Satan, our adversary, is only too happy to accommodate us along the path to our destruction. He has tailored thousands of false religions, philosophies, and doctrines which destroy the soul if one continues in them. And that is why, dearly beloved, it is so imperative that parents diligently teach their children who the one true living God is, how he can be found, and what his word teaches about man, his origin, his purpose, his fall, and his future. Without an intimate knowledge of the word of God and the one who gave it, there is absolutely no hope for mankind. And so I ask you, fathers, I ask you, mothers, you grandparents, have you been teaching and admonishing your children, your, your grandchildren in the things of God? Are your children or grandchildren in Christ or out of Christ? Please remember this one thing. The only thing that parents can ever take to heaven with them someday is their children. Now let's move on to the second commandment in verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Oh, dear friends, how the word of God has been mutilated by religious men who purport to be conveyors of God's will to their people. There is none more heinous or guilty than the cult of Roman Catholicism that claims to be the true voice of Christendom. Here we see very clearly in Exodus 20, verses 4 to 5, the second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything, whether in heaven, on earth, or in the sea, and then bow down before those images to worship them. This is very clear. No images or statues or pictures of anything which will be used to worship and bow down before them. This is what separates the true worshipers from the pagans who worship their false gods. All through Israel's history, the children of Israel were exposed to idolatry, first and foremost 
in the land of Egypt and then later by their disobedience in intermarrying with the heathen and thereby being seduced into serving their false pagan gods. God is infinite spirit and was not to be confined to a physical body conjured up by fallen man. Not until the birth of Christ did God the Son become incarnate. This practice of making images of heavenly things and bowing down before them was forbidden in the Old Testament and is still forbidden in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10.14 tells us to flee from idolatry, while Galatians 5.20-21 warns that those who practice idolatry shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The horrifying results of idolatry is clearly described for us in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. God gives all idolaters up to their own depraved affections, dooming their souls to ultimate damnation. Oh, dearly beloved, the message that should be ingrained in our hearts as we witness to an idolatrous world is flee, flee from the wrath to come. Repent of your sins and by faith turn to Christ and Christ alone. And to all our Catholic friends out there, I plead with you, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. You cannot rewrite the word of God as your church fathers have done without dire eternal consequences. Ask yourselves when you bow down to those statues in your sanctuaries, why have your church fathers removed this all-important commandment concerning the idols from your Bibles and instead made the Tenth Commandment into two commandments so that you would still have Ten Commandments? Read the true Word of God and see how you have been lied to. I beg you, dear friends, get a hold of the old King James Version of the Bible that has been used to lead countless millions of lost souls to Christ since its publication in 1611. God warns throughout the whole Bible that those who add to his word, subtract from his word, or change even one word from his divinely preserved scriptures, that God shall take away their part from the book of life. Revelation 22, 18-19 Oh, I plead with you, dear friends, do not trust your church to save you. Do not trust your good works to save you. Trust Christ alone and his perfect blood, which was shed on Calvary's cross to save you. The Bible clearly teaches that by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8-9. Did you hear that? It is the gift of God, not works. There is absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself. Nothing. It is all by grace. Grace from God, through faith. Faith in what Christ has done for you and for me on your behalf 
and on my behalf. There is no other way. There is no other name. The Bible clearly tells us in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven, under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Not the Pope, for he did not die for our sins. Not Muhammad, for he too did not die for our sins. Neither did Joseph Smith or Charles Russell or Buddha, or Krishna. No one, no one but Christ of the Bible. He who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, healed the sick, raised the dead, changed water into wine, loved and forgave sinners, and then fulfilled all that the prophets taught and wrote about him. He went to the cross of Calvary, as the Lamb of God, which take away the sins of the world. And he bled, and he suffered in our stead. And then he was punished by God the Father while on that cross, and took the wrath that was ours. He died and was buried, and after three days rose again from the dead. And he is now seated on the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf, and he is still in the business of saving souls. All who will come to him by faith, he will receive. Come, he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee so much for thy holy word, and in particular this morning for these Ten Commandments. And though we have only covered the first two and look forward to studying the rest of the Ten Commandments. We pray that the Spirit of God has impressed upon us here today the importance of obeying thy word. Part us now with thy blessings, we pray, and if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us together next Lord's Day. For we ask it all in his name, and always for his glory. Amen.